Welcome to episode 12 of the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. James Cohn here. This is the podcast version of the movie review website Swamp Flicks. We are coming to you from Mid-City, New Orleans. Uh, we are, again, tired from a Saturday night activity. <laughs> I don't know why we decided to do these on Sundays. Yeah. Who, uh, who decided that? That was you, actually. Exactly. <laughs> now I'm regretting it. But. <laughs> we went to go see Deerhoof last night at the Gasa Gasa. It was pretty awesome. It was awesome. It was loud and weird and everything you want that band to be. And they did the weirdest cover of Pour Some Sugar on Me I'll probably ever hear in my life. Probably the best version of that song I've ever heard. <laughs> Pretty hard uh, to top that. Yeah, it was, my ears are still buzzing, and yeah. I need sleep. But we're not going to talk about that any longer. We're going to talk about some movies. Um, what have you seen since the last time we did this? I saw a Sausage Party. Sausage this, Party. Yeah. This is the fake Pixar... Uh, Seth Rogen. Shock comedy. Yeah, raunchy. Did not like it. Did no. not like it at all. And I know you're... Supposed to go see it today. So. Actually, right after we're done recording, I'm gonna go watch it. But okay. Well, maybe we'll save the. No, I'm cu- I'm curious to hear what you think because I've read a bunch of reviews. I was already spoiling myself on it, trying to decide whether or not I actually wanted to watch it, and I was surprised that it's overall got like a positive reception. I okay. My issue is like the way it was portrayed in the trailer is really what the movie should have been. It should have been like a horror, com, comedy. Like, they, they could sell some raunchy stuff for, like, sex or whatever, but basically the movie displays, like, all these stereotypes, mm-hmm. which I get because it's, like, talking about food, and food is sort of inherently, you know, if you're going to make a joke about, like, a thing of salsa, it's going to have to be a Mexican. Right. You know what I'm saying? And it falls into that trap of just, like, relying heavily on lots of stereotypes, and there's some really also just kind of nasty stuff in there like not gross out nasty just like black soul kind like of exploitation like, cinema kind of stuff or yeah i mean i i do want you to see it okay. i'm not going to spoil anything but it there are parts of it that made me cringe pretty hard yeah and the audience i could tell wasn't really like <laughs> like there was a lot of moments where the audience was like oh god like they're doing this not but they weren't laughing right which is a problem i think it didn't really make me laugh as much as it should have. Yeah, if you're going to make a movie depraved like that, it should be fun. <laughs> right. Just based on how it looks. And parts of it were not fun yeah. at all. But there are a couple of gems mm-hmm. in the movie that are just like outrageous okay. and very funny. I heard it has like kind of a philosophical viewpoint too, which is interesting. Well, and, but that's kind of what's annoying oh, right. <laughs> a little bit. It's like, it. its message is sort of, you know... All we need to do is respect each other's opinions and get along and we'll solve all the world's problems. Mm-hmm. But then the whole movie relies on stereotypes and like kind of racial humor and that's sort of the problem. It's yeah. like you can't have your cake and eat it too. Don't make these like these kind of jokes and then the end tell me, aha, we were just kidding. Like really the answer is to respect. Yeah, that's every- cheap. It's pretty cheap. And then one last thing I'll say is I'm really tired of this idea that, like, the stoners have, like, all the answers. Because yeah. in the movie, there's a part where, like, he finds the answers to what's happening in the supermarket. And he gets high with the uh, the Indian and his pals. Mm-hmm. And they, like, everyone else in the movie they make fun of. But it's, like, the stoners, they have the answers. And there's very little, like, critique 
of them, and I find that in a lot of his movies, Seth Rogen movies. Yeah, it yeah. seems like that's where he's coming from. Is like, oh yeah, if people could just like smoke some pot and just sit around and talk about their problems. Like we could figure out everything. I actually like in Pineapple Express that like weed is like uh, kind of catalyst for the plot. Like bad things happen every time they get high. Well, and Pineapple Express is like one of his strongest movies. Yeah, I agree. But this sort of falls into kind of that Reddit crowd, like yeah, mentality. That's the vibe I got too. The way of like talking about politics and the way it like glorifies weed and every, you know, I I don't know. There there are parts of that movie that really annoyed me, but it made me feel something though. I wasn't bored, right? At least so. I'm interested in it. Um, just because yeah. I keep hearing such varied opinions on it. But. Yeah, we'll definitely have to talk about that some other time. Anything else jump out at you from the last few weeks? No, not really. That That's the one that's freshest and yeah. I'm at. What about you? Uh, I've been to the theater a lot, um, but I guess I want to kind of narrow it down. I saw this movie Nerve that I want you to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, I've seen a preview for it. Yeah, it's it like looked... a techno thriller about a killer smartphone app. Yeah. Uh, it kind of plays like almost like Gossip Girl. As, as if Gossip Girl was, like, a dangerous action thriller. It's, like, the most unapologetically, like, f- feminine, like, teen girl uh, marketed uh, action movie I've seen probably ever. Uh, cool. It's got some really goofy, like, ideas on, like, what the dark web is and that kind of stuff, but it's really fun. Mm-hmm. And I kind of went in hoping to have, like, you know, like, a campy good time. And by the end, I was actually just, like, fully engaged fully with it. Yeah. Cool. Which, you saw Suicide Squad too, Yeah, I did you? that yesterday. Uh, it's not that bad. I don't know if it's like just because of reading so many strongly negative opinions for the last two weeks, I was like kind of primed to hate Suicide Squad, but it's okay. It's not like the worst. Do you feel like a lot of those reviews are like kind of fallout from the Batman vs. Superman the totally. last DC movie? And I will say that this movie is not good enough to fix the problems with the rest of the... Uh, what do they call it, DCEU. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman, their main problems to me were just they were so boring and such a slog. Yeah. Uh, Suicide Squad's just as messy and just as overloaded and try-hard as those two movies are, but it's actually, like, it moves along pretty quickly. I wasn't bored. Uh, I liked a few of the performances a lot, so I was pretty much engaged through the whole time, so... It wasn't. It wasn't the same feeling I got walking out of Batman vs Superman, where I was just like dead inside. You know, like I was like, yeah. "Oh, that's fine. Like I'd give it a C." You know, like it passed. Yeah, um, I, I I'm interested to go see it. I, I I'd put it somewhere between like The Expendables and like the other stuff David Ayer usually does. Like I don't know, Sabotage. Did you see that with Schwarzenegger? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like you know, it's an okay action movie. If it were, if it had nothing to do with comic books, there was no way it would have ever earned a sequel. But I feel like these things are just kind of getting automatically greenlit. Well, and also it's like the marketing for that movie was so so awesome that it made a ridiculous amount of money right. its first weekend, and that's kind of what keeps happening. Is even though these movies aren't really that great, it's just like you see so many commercials and there's so much advertising money put into yeah. it that it's guaranteed to make a crap load of money. And it did. And, <laughs> so, and there will, and so there we go. There, there will there'll be, be another one more. Well, I'd rather see another one of these than another Dawn of Justice or oh, uh, God. Man yeah. of Steel, you know? Um, so today we're talking about wrestling movies. Yay. Um, 
In a little bit, our friend Brandon Lattimore is going to come in, and we're going to talk about five pro wrestling documentaries. Uh, this is going to be kind of like a guide of, let's say you knew absolutely nothing about pro wrestling. If you wanted to get like kind of background on what it is and why people like it, uh, this would be like a good intro. Um, before we get into that, uh, we're going to do our Movie of the Minute segment, um, and what did you make me watch this week? So I figured I'd go with the wrestling theme, and... I went with The Marine, John Cena's first acting role, and a surprisingly good action flick yeah. starring a wrestler. So <laughs> so uh, if you're a Mark or a Smark, you might enjoy the uh, the next hour. Um, all that's come up to you right, right now. now. A toast to your first and last day on the job. <laughs> about that. Dude, I told you, don't worry about it. It's not the first time I've been suspended. That's not it. Uh, John, you find another job. You got all that training. <laughs> training? Covert reconnaissance? Close quarter hand-to-hand combat? Demolition? Not a high call in the workplace for skills like that, Joe. Okay, but you're a smart guy. You can do whatever you want. You don't get it. It's not... It's not about work. It's not about a job. Being a Marine meant everything to me. (laughs) Now I go and get fired from some bullshit security job. Sorry. I don't know what to do. Look. I'm not going to try and pretend I know what you're going through. Because I don't. And your time as a Marine, yeah, it's over. And that sucks, man. But your life's not over. I mean, it's changing, but you got to learn to change with it. Sometimes, sometimes it's good to just take a step back and see what you still have. You know... I think I'm gonna go home and see my wife. Yeah, she's hot. And now it's time for our movie of the minute segment. Uh, this is where James and I bounce back and forth, recommending films to each other. Um, and this week it was James's turn. So what do we watch? All right. So since we're going with the pro wrestling theme this episode, I figured um, that I would pick one of the WWE Studios films that you hadn't seen. I was kind of surprised to learn that you hadn't seen The Marine. Yeah. You know, John Cena's big starring role. A movie that I actually really enjoy, and so I kind of wanted to share it with you. And uh, what did, So what did you think of The Marine starring John Cena? <laughs> well, yeah, like you said, this is a, like an earlier one from them. It looks like it probably had a theatrical run. Like, it's appearing with uh, Fox Studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can kind of feel that, that it's like a uh, more souped up uh, WWE Studios release, but it's also like this really cheap, generic movie, Definitely. the way that their films always are, where it feels like it's almost a legitimate film, but it's just not quite. Like, not quite there. Awful. Yeah. But I really liked it. It's a cheap knockoff of Rambo. But, Without a lot of the depth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like a really cheap Rambo, except they subbed out 
the Rambo character for like John Cena's like superhero character that he plays in the ring. Um, and that gimmick was amusing to me. Yeah. Uh, it opens with him on like a mission in the Middle East, uh, just destroying terrorists with machine gun fire. It's ridiculously violent for a PG thirteen movie. Yeah, I, I'm because there's not really a lot of blood in the movie, but there is nonstop action and violence oh, it's, and uh, explosions. Just shooting through people and yeah. like, oh, it's just disgusting. And then he gets back to America, uh, dishonor, well, honorably discharged, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And then he has to get job at a. Uh, a security firm that does not work out. No. And then the movie switches gears all of a sudden and becomes a diamond heist. And the diamond heist goons steal his wife and he chases them down for the last half hour. Uh, so it's kind of like uh, all these different Rambo plots. Like in the first Rambo, uh, Stallone is back in America and he's a drifter and he can't find a job. Uh, in the second one, he goes to Vietnam. Um, and I believe there's some kind of like POW rescue mission involved. Um, mm-hmm. And in the third one, he's in the uh, Gulf War. Uh, and this kind of felt like just like a like amalgamation of all those different things, but like you said, without any of the depth. Yeah. Like, there's no PTSD issues. There's nothing like... That's what's so interesting about it is like, you know, he kind of does the same thing that Rambo does. He has this instinct to just kill, mm-hmm. but it's never played for anything more... Than just an excuse for violence. Like they never really go deep into his character about you know his previous like war experiences and how that traumatized him. It, like you said, it's pretty surface level. Yeah. The whole way through, which I kind of appreciated, honestly, because like you said, the whole film sort of has that generic feel to yeah. it, and it never seems like it's trying to be anything more. It's kind of it playing is. to its strengths. Like, okay, if all we have is these cheap sets and this ridiculous uh, premise, why don't we just blow stuff up on these sets and like not really care about the story? And the explosions are... Amazing. They are frequent and they are gratuitous. <laughs> explosions on top of explosions on top of explosions. Like uh, One of my favorite scenes was when uh, the most... Wild card goon uh, shoots a rocket launcher at a cop car, yeah. uh, and then Rob Zombie song starts playing on the soundtrack. Yes, uh, that was a delightfully uh, corny experience for me. I, and I just love how in the Marine universe, if you just shoot a car once, one bullet <laughs> equals car, just massive explosion. Well, yeah, John Cena steals this uh, Ferrari cop car. It's like this, like really nice. Absurd. Yeah, it's this really nice cop car. Uh, chases down the villains and I believe borrowing a shot from Roadhouse uh, the car becomes like airborne and they shoot the underside of it and explodes but while it's exploding he slips out the top of it so cool I love that stunt (laughs) I don't know honestly I really don't know how they pulled it off it looks great it looks like they you know just shot a car off and this stunt man just jumped out and looks extremely dangerous. And, <laughs> and then, then the, the car, car explodes. Yeah, it explodes, and then it takes like two years to hit the ground. Like it just keeps falling forever. It's more great. and more fire. Uh, there's another scene where he's in the gas station and they blow it up, and he's inside. And yeah. then he's fine. He runs out of the gas station while it's like 
on fire and then it explodes again for no oh, reason. And then at the the end, like the climactic oh, yes. explosion is one of maybe the biggest explosions I've ever seen <laughs> in a movie, period. Like, I don't know. It's crazy. But yeah, it's kind of weird. They, they like have all these cheap sets like warehouses and gas stations and swamps. Um, like the set pieces aren't really intricate except that they probably spent God knows how much money on all these explosions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess I'd rather them spend the money on explosions and put that into like the set design. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, you don't go to the Marine looking for good <laughs> set design. You want to see explosions. So they... Like I said, they played up their strengths, and uh, I another thing I think is notable about the Marine is Robert Patrick. Yeah, the villain is great. He plays the main villain. He is so good <laughs> in this. Like I think if he wasn't in it, it would I wouldn't like it nearly as much. I really like his performance. Yeah, this is the guy who played uh, T one thousand in Terminator two, the, the liquid robot. Um, and he really does have this like kind of delicious. Uh, he just chews up yeah. the scenery. It's so good to watch. My favorite line from him is when he's holding the uh, the diamond store hostage, and he um, and he shouts, uh, "I have severe intimate intimacy issues and a gun," and that's what's supposed to terrify people. Which <laughs> is kind of a ridiculous villain line. Yeah, he has a lot of good lines like that. And and, and Cena, you know, he, I guess you got to give him some props. He plays it. Straight. I mean, he's pretty much just playing his John Cena right. character. But something I found is like I've watched a few of the other Marine movies, and then there was that one Twelve Rounds. Twelve Rounds is pretty similar. His like wife gets kidnapped, and he has to like chase her. It just happens to borrow from uh, Die Hard Three instead of Rambo. But with those movies, they never quite get to this level, and I think that does have something to do with. John Cena a little bit. He just has this, like actual like movie star mm-hmm. quality about him that I think some of the other Marine movies with the wrestlers that starred in them like it didn't quite have that legitimacy. I've been liking him in raunchy comedies lately. Like he was in Trainwreck. Train, he was uh, really good in Trainwreck. Sisters. Um, I'm sure there's another one that's just slipping my mind, but he's been really funny in these like against type characters lately uh, mm-hmm. where he's kind of like breaking his uh, his normal like superhero never give up uh, role model persona yeah. uh, it's really nice to see him kind of break that up uh, I also I also want to say the other characters outside of Robert Patrick um, are really fun caricatures of just like archetypes mm-hmm. like he has this kind of Kevin James looking buddy from the security job that's like a total goofball yeah uh, there's um, this uh, what do you call that? Like off the handle kind of villain who just like fucks everything. Yeah, the up. hothead. Yeah, hothead. He like yeah. he like shoots cops indiscriminately and like <laughs> yeah sets off rocket launchers downtown and like just draws so much attention. Yeah, it's like dude, you're blowing our cover, please. That guy is funny as hell. I don't know what what that what the writer room idea was behind that guy, but he's such a mess. I, I do think with the security guard, like in the casting call, it probably said like. Kevin James type type yeah because <laughs> yeah. yeah he's very much a, a stereotypical kind of you know goofball character but well going to the hothead with the rocket launcher um what did you think of the rock candy gag what the hell was that about it was weird yeah I don't like 
Honestly, you don't if know anyone what to say, has, like... If anyone has PTSD in this movie, it's this villain who has some kind of rock candy fixation. I believe there's an implied rape in his past that had something to do with rock candy? Is that what... It's not... It's not good. Yeah, it's, <laughs> That is a weird little... For a movie that kind of stays pretty generic the whole way through, that was one little... I don't know. Well, one little gag, running thing that... Is, just kind of felt out of place. Well, that that's what points to like a weirder thing about this film to me is that it, it does have all this violence and uh, you know danger and it's like a thriller. Except that it plays like a comedy. Like all the villains just kind of shoot these one liners back and forth to each other. Yeah, they're having like a really good time <laughs> while like killing cops and stealing diamonds. Diamonds. And yeah, everyone bees. seems to even Cena like seems to be enjoying himself. I guess that adds to like why it's so enjoyable watching it because it seems like they had a good time yeah. making it and I think the filmmakers like knew what they were doing um, I do think I don't know how would you rank this one compared to the other WWE movies you've seen like See No Evil and uh, where, would you rank it up near the top we're, we're, like you said uh, Cena does have kind of this um, screen quality that's hard to top so I, if any other one comes close it might be the first 12 rounds movie where they're in New Orleans and he has to like solve these like puzzles mm-hmm. to like rescue his wife uh, that one might just be fun to me because it has these ridiculous uh, New Orleans specific moments to it like uh, there's a scene where his wife uh, gets put on the ferry going from the quarter well from the West Bank to the quarter and he rushes over the Crescent City connection and like beats the ferry over which that is like ridiculous. Can't really happen. And then there's another one where the sh- they're trying to the sh- stop the streetcar. Streetcar, yeah, I've seen. They're that like, oh, it's going too fast. It's going to break through <laughs> the end. I've never seen a streetcar go that fast. Dude, in my it life. doesn't go more than five miles an hour. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I don't. I can't. I can't really say for sure if if Twelve Rounds is as fun as this one, but I do think this is one of the better made ones. And like you said, Sino Evil, the first one, is fun. It is good. Yeah. But it's not this good. Yeah, I would put it up there near the very top. Yeah, and. And this is like early on in their productions. Um, I do think it had a lot to do with them partnering with a bigger production yeah. company because with a lot of their later releases, it was pretty much I think mostly WWE that was backing it financially. So you kind of get a step down in quality with some of the later ones. I like the ones that they've been doing that kind of embrace the silliness. The uh, the Hanna Barbera um, crossovers with like Scooby Doo and Flintstones, like it kind of fits the the vibe a little better than these like serious action thrillers that they're trying to set up that are just not going to have anything interesting about them. Well, and also you got to think like they should be making movies more for kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing about this one, you know, with it getting a PG thirteen, like that's a hard PG thirteen. Like they were definitely straddling yeah. that line um, you know to an R but I still think it's a movie that like kids would watch and enjoy just cause who doesn't like watching explosions <laughs> when you're a little kid I don't know uh, I could see more of these I, I know like The Miz takes over for him in the sequel so that doesn't seem very good but is there a Marine 2 with Cena or oh that's a good question i don't know if he's in another one of the sequels i know they made quite a few at this point right i've seen the one with the miz are you talking about oh yeah yeah and summer ray <laughs> or whatever and 
it's um it's, it's not as good yeah. <laughs> yeah it's pretty bad i can tell it's terrible just thinking about and it and i actually like the miz like on wrestling yeah he's a good heel yeah but i don't want to like root for him in an action movie the way i want to root for john cena yeah there's this uh opening title uh credits where cena comes out against like a patent backdrop so it's just this giant american flag and he's in the full Marines uniform, and he like salutes the camera, and it's like this is what you were made to do. Like this is, um, this is like your gimmick. Except maybe they should have like uh, hinted at some kind of like Boston rapper uh, aspect in the story. Like if he was a Marine and a rapper, that or if he was just like rapping along to a song in his car. There is a rap song over the end credits uh, that Cena raps on. That Cena rap, yeah, which is pretty funny. He has skills, too. If you ever watch his old Dr. Thugonomics character, you know? <laughs> he can definitely rap, but... But he, but the the lines are generic. It's kind of like the movie. Like, it's, it's, it's... It knows what works, but it's definitely, like, not quite right. Like, if you heard a John Cena rap song on the radio, it would stick out like a sore thumb, because there's just something kind of off about it. Yeah. I, that's a good way to kind of sum up the whole movie, really. Yeah. Anything else you want to say before we head out? No, I think we pretty well covered it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was fun. I watched it very late at night. I was a little loopy, which is probably like the, the right headspace to be in. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think most people I know would actually enjoy this. It's a fun... Like, if it's on TV, you should watch it or whatever, because it's, uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, I'd say especially if you're into, like, the Rambo movies, especially uh, the sequels or, like, maybe um, Commando. Like, if you're into that kind of action movie with, like, way more one-liners and jokes than probably should exist in a film where, like, cops get murdered left and right and everything explodes and dies. Yeah, uh, that, that's what we were saying. It, it's pretty <laughs> lighthearted for all the murder and mayhem that happens. Yeah, so if you're, if you're in that Venn diagram, uh, I would check it out. Professional wrestling. You either love it or you don't watch it. Or maybe you do watch it, but you won't admit it. If that's you, don't worry, you're not alone. Every week, upwards of 25 million Americans watch professional wrestling on television. But what are they watching? The sport, you say? And how come you won't find tonight's winners in tomorrow's sports pages? And that's only one of the nagging questions about wrestling. There's also the rules, like whether or not there are any. And if there are, why isn't this man enforcing them? How many champions are there? How do you tell the heroes from the villains when they keep changing places? What do all those hand signals mean? Does this hurt? And is professional wrestling on the level, or is it fake? And if it's fake, when did it stop being real? Or was it ever really real to begin with? 
Other sports are based in competition. Points are scored. Decide with the most points at the end wins. Nobody keeps score in a professional wrestling match. Rather, as Shakespeare pointed out, the play is the thing. And now for our uh, longer conversation, we're going to be talking about uh, five wrestling documentaries. Um, kind of giving you an overview of what pro wrestling is and kind of getting further into the details of it. Um, joining us is our friend Brandon Lattimore. Hey guys, how you doing? Uh, he is a regular DJ on WTUL. Uh, <laughs> you find yourself listening to college radio in New Orleans. Um, so basically a couple of years ago, I got back into wrestling for the first time since I was a kid. Uh, and to sort of get myself familiar with what it actually is, I watched probably like 15, 20 documentaries on it over the course of like two months, which was kind of like absurd. A crash course. Yeah. 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 Um, I would say these five here are probably like the best overview of if you're going to get into it. Um, if you just want to know what it is. Um, and starting with the first one, uh, which was a TV doc, uh, called the unreal story of professional wrestling from 1999. Uh, this is the height of the attitude era, uh, popularity of the sport. Um, so they're trying to capitalize on its sudden spike in popularity just by explaining what it is and the history of it. So this is a good overview of the film. From what I'm gathering from you two, because y'all are more uh, familiar with wrestling as a sport, this was not a very interesting watch. <laughs> I, I was definitely very bored with it, like already yeah. like within maybe 15 minutes. Yeah. And I guess not even... I don't know, there's like a lot of, like I guess, like weird insider stuff. Also, like I remember... In the beginning, Fabulous Moolah was talking about how like she like won the heavyweight championship and continued to have it to this day. Yeah. And in my head, I'm just like, wait, I definitely remember reading a story where like one time he actually like shoot like like forced somebody to like make a pin <laughs> like in a match that you weren't supposed to like win or something like that. And, like, <laughs> and just like a lot of weird like um cutting of like stuff where people. We're talking about how athletic, like, an older wrestler was, but to make sure, like, people get it, they're just like, here's Eddie Guerrero doing, like, a backflip yeah. off, like, a top rope, and just like, that's not the same, that wasn't what we were doing. Because they don't have footage from the 1910s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of like, it kind of reminds me that some people don't know as much about wrestling as, yeah. Yeah. like, I assume that they do, because it was so, like, sort of basic. Yeah. Like, it, it was just like, it just starts off, like, explaining what it is in such a generic way that I'm like, wait, I guess people don't actually know this <laughs> yeah. very basic understanding well, of wrestling. Well, the thing you get for most people when you tell them that you watch it, it's still, all these years later, people are like, don't you know it's fake? Right. And it's like, yes. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, yeah. it's, it's spectacle. It's a soap opera. I um, did find some of the, they went into like older wrestlers mm -hmm. like Luthez and I don't know, like Rick, Ricky Starr was my favorite. Uh, the, the ballerina wrestler. Oh, yeah, that yeah. Dude yeah. does some beautiful stuff in the ring. Some of that was interesting, but once it got to like modern day, mm -hmm. it was like basically I knew everything. everything. But it is, I think, a good like introduction if you know nothing mm -hmm. yeah. about wrestling at all. Yeah. Um, so y'all already knew, this is what, what was interesting to me, was the uh, transition from um, circus act, like kind of like sideshow stuff, to television, and like how television like changed what wrestling is. Was that something y'all were already familiar with? Or? I, I was aware of the carny aspect of it and everything yeah. like that, like it just like basically like strong men and uh, people kind of just putting on these shows, and like pretty, yeah, pretty much the idea of like wrestling itself is kind of like just getting people to pay money for like something yeah. that's like... 
just like a sideshow attraction in a way. And, and in a way, it's still stuck in that carny yeah, yeah, mentality. Yeah. It still has that reputation. I think the basic, uh, the basic appeal, like on a very basic level, is that it's a three-hour sports spectacle where it's gonna deliver. Like, you can watch a football game and you don't know whether or not it's actually gonna be entertaining. Yeah. But, like, wrestling, you know that they're gonna at least tell some kind of storyline yeah. narrative where you're, like, engaged with what what's happening in the ring. Um, yeah, if it's competent. I if it's know, a I've good show. Some, yeah, <laughs> some episodes of Raw that are, uh, yeah. I don't know what the writers are thinking, but... Yeah, no, definitely sometimes <laughs> you're just like, well, this make logical in a story sense, but, like, eventually it happens where, oh, hey, no, that person's not winning. And right. So, yeah. Well, also, they do, what, like, one Raw a week all year with no breaks. Like, <laughs> I'm sure it's hard to write that. The the production level is ridiculous. Yeah. Definitely. Anything else stuck out to you on this one? or No, like I said, I mean, I don't know, some of the clips were cool, too. Like, they show a lot of, like, kind of famous spots mm-hmm. in, like, modern WWE history, and it was kind of cool to watch that again, but as, like, a pretty diehard wrestling fan, it didn't besides the like history stuff early in the documentary it didn't yeah. really offer anything new but like you said it's a good crash course and, and it's only an hour long uh well i have a couple of details that i think are interesting i like mm. the uh, gorgeous george stuff um, yeah that was definitely like really interesting me seeing some of that footage like, yeah i've never seen that before and i was like oh okay this is actually like why a lot of people like do this kind of gimmick now yeah and he was insanely popular too yeah exactly yeah um and i've actually been reading this biography on him uh this summer i should have finished it in like a week but i've just been dragging it out because mm. uh, i've been reading a lot of comic books at the same time but, <laughs> but yeah he's, he's a really interesting person and he really did like change what the sport is and you can see his gimmick reflected in like so many other people since mm. then yeah i mean yeah, rick flair and yeah. yeah that we just co-opted that and everything um and also i really like the dumb detail that i feel is completely made up to me about Egyptian wrestling and how, like, they're <laughs> yeah. ancient promos in hieroglyphics. Uh, did you catch that? I don't I, I think I might have. Like, I think, like, that, like, glossed over my head. Yeah, same like, here. I what? didn't catch that. Yeah, they, uh, over. they were like, uh, the, pro- the promos they were reading off hieroglyphics were like, I will beat you in front of the Pharaoh. Uh, <laughs> yes. You are so weak. Uh, which was such a ridiculous You and all these people, you're ugly and you're ugly. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I, that feels completely made up, but it, I didn't get a laugh out of it. Um, so I guess the next one I would recommend watching after Unreal Story would be probably the most iconic wrestling documentary out there it's from the same year uh in 99 beyond the mat uh i love this yeah documentary. It's, it's still so great it's been so long since i watched it I actually rewatched it um for this and it just like all the like memories came back i definitely remember being young and just being really shocked about uh what's his name the guy who pukes Oh, draws. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's call- gonna puke. <laughs> I, I just, like, for something that's always been in my head, even when I watch Wrestling Steel, it's just like, he's gonna puke. He's gonna puke. <laughs> that just shows, like, the genius of Vince McMahon in that scene. Like, he just gets into it so much. Like, is uh, that is that like uh, him in character, or is that just him as a person? Is I feel that- like that might be just him as a person. Like, so you know, I think like- his character is... Uh, a slightly exaggerated version. Yeah. Which that's the best really wrestling is. gimmicks is yeah. the people who can do that. Mm. Definitely. I there's so many cool parts in the in the document. I love everything like with Mick Foley. This pretty yes. much like yeah, maybe a that, diehard Mick Foley fan. Just seeing the way he like interacts with his kids and mm. he's like an awesome dad, but then you see him get the shit you know, the shit beat out of him and they're 
patching up his head and yeah. all this. And oh my god, that one scene of his kids, of him watching his kids watch him wrestle, is really fucked up. Really, yeah, heartbreaking. no, oh my god. Um, I definitely so that Royal Rumble was like maybe the first pay per view I like begged my mom to like buy for me. Oh, <laughs> so god. that was actually like the first one I like got to watch all the way through. Like, That's the one with him and Taker. Yeah, yeah, actually. Or wait, no, it was um. The one with him and The Rock, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, with the countless, like, whatever hit, like, share shots. It was a ridiculous number. Like, like, 13 or yeah. maybe even more. It's way, it's gratuitous. It's really brutal. And, like, I remember, like, watching as a kid just, like, being like, yeah, like, I love this. <laughs> and then, like, I think I watched Beyond the Mat and I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, there's, like, a reality people. behind yeah. this. That's the thing about the Attitude Era for me. Like, I like... I, what I remember as a kid about liking it was that there were so many wrestlers who were like on top of their game, and they weren't necessarily heels or faces. Uh, they were like kind of like anti-heroes. Anti yeah. Um, but going back and watching it now, it's so brutal in this way that's like not very fun for me. Uh, all, the, all the chair shots definitely like kind of make me wince every single time. Well, we know more about concussions. Yeah, now. we do. <laughs> But I mean, Mick Foley is still on television. He's mm -hmm. still coherent. He's I mean, well, I'm so yeah. surprised that he's actually able to like carry a promo. Still, mm. like his Facebook page is a wonder. Oh it's no, so it's great. so great. Yeah. yeah, he like does these in-depth analysis of like every week on Raw, which is pretty great. Mm. I remember, yeah, I watched like Beyond the Mat, and then I read uh, his first book, mm -hmm. Have a Nice Day, within yes, like that's right, yeah. a few months of each other, and that's pretty much when I was like, yes, I'm a diehard. Mick Foley fan, mm. and also the stuff with um, Jake the Snake that's oh, in there is really messed up. I feel like that was the basis of the wrestler. Like maybe someone was watching Beyond the Mat and was like, "I'm gonna write the it wrestler." Probably, yeah, that definitely. I feel like where that came from. He's like smoking crack uh, right after meeting his daughter and like having like a hard time with with re reconciling with her. Um, and it, it's weird too because I recently watched. He has a documentary. It's on Netflix now. Oh yeah. Um, okay. Where basically it's like his recovery process with uh, DDP. Oh, yoga. the DDP yoga thing, yeah. And uh, and it's sad because this was made like a year or two ago, and he's still struggling with like the same stuff. Mm. And it's like, you know, Beyond the Mat was made in '99, and it's like, dude, it's been over a decade, and you're still doing the there, same crap. There's that you same learned. Uh, there's that same narrative with the Sheik in his recent documentary. Too. Yes, there is. Yeah. yeah. I remember watching that. I think part of that is just, like, how hard this profession is on your body. And, like, trying to cope with that pain usually leads people to, like, alcoholism and drugs. Like, Mick Foley's, like, one of the few exceptions where he, like, pushed his body to the limit, but it doesn't seem like it fucked him up, uh, mentally, at least. Mm. Um, he still looks like he's kind of in pain when he walks around. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 that definitely... He definitely does have flashbacks every time he steps in that ring, I feel. And that's, yeah. what, I, that's what I like about Beyond the Mat, too, is that they show the heights of the spectacle and like why you should love it but then they show stuff like Jake the Snake or um uh his name's escaping me Terry Funk um yeah yeah they kind of show these people who can't get out of the profession it's like the only thing they know and the only thing they're good at and it's terrible for their bodies and they keep pushing yeah and but the Terry Funk thing I think is more um about like he just loves what he does mm -hmm. and he can't stop like mm -hmm. that's different than a Jake the Snake that I think like his wrestling past kind of haunts him a little bit because he wants that glory, but he he can't get it. Like it's he's too far gone, and so there. Yeah, there's a lot of like sadness underneath the surface, yeah. but uh, yeah, that's what I really like about it too. It shows the high highs and the low lows, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Uh, so the one before that uh, in 1998 was Hitman Heart Wrestling with Shadows. Um, something that kind of surprised me this time watching this one is that I actually enjoyed it more than Beyond the Mat, just because it was a more interesting uh, balance between kayfabe and uh, reality, mm. where you can't really tell what's part of the documentary and what's part of like the enduring storyline of Bret Hart um, well, leaving the company. The the genius of it and the, the timing issue is so perfect because... It's basically like what's happening backstage is playing out on television with mm. him like having to do this heel turn. Yeah. And he yeah. doesn't want to. Mm. And then his last show at his like hometown, you know, in Calgary or whatever. Do you think that's a little too perfect? Like maybe they planned this narrative? I mean, there's like, I don't know, like I definitely like rewatched it with that like in mind this time and would just. I think, like, a lot of it was just having to be that a lot of stuff that was, like, really happening backstage, like, just played itself out on the show and, yeah. like, in the ring and everything out. And just, like, I mean, because that's why, why, like, a lot of people talk about, like, the Bret Hart, like, Shawn Michaels, like, few that, like, it was a lot of, like, personal stuff and right. everything, yeah. He, like, really hated Shawn Michaels yeah. as a person. It, even the documentary, <laughs> like, kind of, like, skips over, like, the little small fact that at one point Shawn Michaels, like, faked an injury to not let Bret Hart, like, win the belt at one oh point. Like, God. the previous year before, like, all, like, the stuff in the documentary, like, takes place. It's, it's, it's just a little too perfect for me. Really? But but it's so fun to watch. And, uh... I don't know. Watching that backstage stuff after the screw job, it mm. feels very real to me. Just yeah. the way that, like, they're telling the cameraman, like, get out of here. Yeah. And he kind of has to steal shots every now and again mm. i get what you're saying that conspiracy theory like it's all a work yeah yeah but it just feels like too real and there's been so many years of animosity between them that but he's back right. on the show now right but, well he showed up here once in a while but every single time bret hart like shows up now he's still like either like he makes like a comment or just by like man that match was so terrible like <laughs> why did i even do that Oh my god, the cat just knocked over. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, chaos. Um, so, uh, something that um, really strikes me about that movie is uh, the stuff with his wife. Uh, again, just like how hard the business is. Um, and his dad's wife, who like does not want this like wrestling family because it's so hard on people's bodies. And it just keeps going yeah. and keeps going and never going to stop. Like, yeah. I also have some questions about the dad, too. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Stu Hart. (laughs) Yeah, so there's the dungeon is, like, the infamous Stu Hart, like, uh, I don't even know what you want to call that, like, institution, uh, (laughs) where he brings these men home and tortures them in his basement, and his kids listen to the squeals of pain through the rafters. Is there a sexual vibe in that? Because it's really uncomfortable. There's, like, some kind of BDSM aspect to it. Yeah, man. Well, and he did it to all his kids too. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. true. I am, but I can see like definitely someone like setting up a camera and then like just like like being like paid this much to like watch this boy <laughs> get tortured and yeah. hear yells and screams and everything like that. I think it's more he's just like really old school wrestler mm-hmm. mentality where like the way to train people is to like bring them to the brink of like you know wanting to give up. And to make them stronger, I think that's just like an old school yeah. mentality. But it is weird, the fact that the gym was like right under their living room, and you could just hear the screams. Yeah, <laughs> like that must have been a really weird 
environment to raise kids. I don't know, yeah. listening to the audio recording, there's just something kind of like weird vibe. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I feel like also it could be like a perfect setup for like a horror movie, you know, oh, where, totally. where you're just like, like, what's going on in the basement? Just like nothing, daddy just taking care of business. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's already got a good title, The Dungeon was a pretty good horror title. <laughs> just in the dungeon, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also just the shift from um, the Attitude Era, I think this is a good primer for what that means. Mm. Um, just because uh, Bret Hart was like a good guy, uh, kind of like a, almost like a John Cena character, mm. uh, and watching him kind of be disgusted with like people like Stone Cold who are like a badass, uh, with no respect for authority. And that's what people were cheering for. Like he was really grossed out by that. But see, the main thing I kind of took away from it was like, I think I actually had more sympathy for Vince McMahon really? and his decision to do the yeah. screw job well, after yeah. what because mm. basically what it to me what it amounts to is like he lived his gimmick like to him it was real like it's not a business it's like mm-hmm. my life and you know if you're leaving the company you know after this pay-per-view you kind of business tells you you have to drop the belt you can't walk away with the belt yeah, and yeah he basically true. was like well no no like i don't want to lose there let's do it the next night at like raw or something. Mm -hmm. And Vince was basically like, no, like the way the business is, you have to leave dropping the belt to someone. And it just happened to be Shawn Michaels who he Mm -hmm. hated and he let it get to him. And he got all kind of high and mighty about like his pride. And what was Vince supposed to do at that point? I mean, that's why I like the idea of this being a work is that it kind of satisfies both ends. Like it allows him to walk away with his head held high, uh, like the screw job allows him to walk away knowing that he was right, but the belt still stays with the company. That's why I think it works out like a little too perfectly. Well, but that goes to like Vince McMahon's sort of genius to, yeah. to tell him like, okay, we'll do this schmoz finish and then actually go behind his back and do the screw job thing. It gave him a lot of sympathy going to WCW, Mm -hmm. it took the belt off of him, and it also helped create that Vince McMahon evil persona. Like, it worked for everyone, whereas if the the ending Brett won, it wouldn't have really, like, furthered any of that along. It would just satisfied his own ego. Yeah, definitely, like, also, like, I mean, it pretty much, like, the screw job kind of starts off the Attitude Era in a bit. Yeah. Like, it starts with Vince McMahon, the character, Shawn Michaels being, like, this, like, kind of terrible person. <laughs> uh, Bret Hart is gone, and he's kind of, like, was the face of, like, that little era of wrestling and everything. And also, like, even despite it's kind of being a thing that looks bad from Vince McMahon's perspective, but just, yeah. like, why, why would you, like, screw over your employee? It gets mentioned all the time. Oh, yeah. And give reference, like... What there was a pay per view like a few months ago where it, like mentioned again in front of Bret Hart's face like we, <laughs> yeah. they're like we're gonna do the screw job again like let just have it happen. They even try to like recreate that moment in new matches too. Which is yeah, kind of exactly. They, like it like gets brought up like all the time with just like crooked referees and everything like mm-hmm. bells being rung early. Just like it's a thing they constantly go back to and it's like still like didn't Taker just do that with Lesnar like about a year ago too? Oh yeah, the um. The weird, that weird, weird like, every, like, weird everybody wins, like, finish. Yeah. <laughs> um, and going back to Unreal Story for a minute, the, the first one we talked about, uh, I think that's a good way to get a glimpse into what Vince McMahon is in the business and the way he pretty much destroyed local circuits by, like, 
buying up all territories mm. and putting them under one umbrella. Um, so he, he's definitely like a kind of a evil genius. Yeah, and he knows that he is. And he like <laughs> plays that as a character. It's really brilliant. Yeah, I mean, and I, I do have sympathy for Brett after watching it too. Mm-hmm. Like he definitely seems like a good guy that mm. his heart's in the right place, but I think he didn't see kind of where the business was going and he instead was like stuck in the past. He's definitely like very old fashioned and stuck in his ways, definitely. You can def like even like when he was talking about like just like, oh like crowds like like bad guys now and like I gotta like change my like be a heel and disrespect everybody. And he looks so uncomfortable. I know, yeah. yeah. It just It's actually kind of like, it did me feel like very sad, like just like, cause I thought heel Bret Hart was actually like a really great character for him, but definitely just made him like very uncomfortable to be that way. Yeah, he wasn't having fun yeah. doing that. And I, I like the scene where his wife is talking to the other people behind the thing, like, uh, yeah. you're not, you're more than co-workers, like our kids were raised here, like mm-hmm. we see y'all every week, like how could you do this to us? Yeah, and you see his son like playing with all the different wrestlers yeah. and that's really sad too like yeah. cuz by all accounts the like WCW locker room was totally mm. a different vibe and uh you know I'm sure that kid like lost a lot of people he considered friends but yeah it, I one part I really liked too was when after the screw job when Brett's wife is confronting Triple H yeah yeah and like yeah. like you knew you know, and he's like, no, I didn't, I swear to God. She's like, well, you can swear to God all you want, but he'll strike you down. Like, <laughs> and you, you see him kind of hanging his head, and I really do, that's what I want to know. Like, you might know some about this. Like, did Sean and Triple H know that that was going to happen? So, from what I hear, like, what I remember, the little um, internet story being like, they were all in a room, like, maybe it was apparently Sean... Triple H, maybe Sergeant Slaughter, and like maybe Briscoe. Or and Hebner had to be yeah. on it too. Yeah, and uh, they were all in a room and they were talking about what they were going to do. And apparently, like, Triple H said something like, Well, like, the man doesn't want to like draw the belt. You have to do what you have to do, or something yeah. like that. And so, like, a lot of people, I like, kind of like also think like Triple H just like, because the whole narrative of Triple H just like putting himself over and just, like, taking people out throughout all his wrestling career. Yeah. That's, like, he, like, some people are just, like, yeah, like, he also started the screw job. And, well, like, that's, what's, that's what's funny, too. She's, like, you know, God will strike you down yeah. or you'll get yours, but he really hasn't. He's, like, now <laughs> he's the running the show. I <laughs> yeah. mean, he's politicked, him way, politicked his way to the very top, so. And you're right, too, like, just the idea that what he wanted to walk away with is pretty ridiculous. Like, it's an un- mm. unreasonable claim. Like, even Andre the Giant surrendered his title to Hulk Hogan, which was, like, kind of like an ego mm. gut punch, you know? Um, I mean, but also to be fair, this has kind of happened before. Um, let's see, Chris Benoit left without dropping the belt from WCW. Uh, yeah. And now, WCW is, like, a shenanigans. Yeah. But also, <laughs> um, so, like, this happened a little bit after Andre Blaze, uh... The women's champion went oh, yeah. to go to WCW, and yeah. pretty much the first day they had her there, they were just like, "Hey, do you mind taking the belt and like showing you dropping in a trash can to show how terrible?" <laughs> yeah, that's an infamous, awesome yeah. promo. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, but I to just, go from that and like, I could see how Vince would be scared. Yeah, basically. exactly. Like, I know, you know, I've worked with you for twelve years, and mm. you're telling me you're not gonna screw me over, mm. but that's what people said in the past, and I, so he kind of. Screwed him first, I guess. You know, like you said, Brett screwed Brett. Well, okay, so up to that point, I feel like if you watch those three, you get a good idea of, like, what wrestling is from 
a history standpoint, like from the beginning to the Attitude Era when it was probably at its like height and popularity. Um, if you want to go a little further, uh, from 1989, there's this movie, I'm From Hollywood, which is an art project from Andy Kaufman that was finished after he died, uh, where basically he started an in-the-ring feud with Jerry Lawler in yes. Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah. Um, Memphis, it, Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he like... Uh, his whole gimmick is that he's like an A-lister from Hollywood, pretty much like The Miz. Uh, and then he comes yeah. to this small town and like makes fun of everyone as if they're like a dumb hick. And then he uh, wrestles only women. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, that's so And says that if they beat him, uh, his, uh, their prize is that they get to marry him, which is like this big prize uh, in his mind. Um, it's brilliant. I, I think it's a really good argument for wrestling as performance art and I think he understood that very early on in like what wrestling is yeah it's funny hearing his co-stars in Taxi like oh talk about God, how that was so good it's like they're so concerned he was wearing his tights <laughs> under it's like dude he was just a huge wrestling fan he like lived his his gimmick sort of I mean well I think they're playing into the joke I, f- yeah. I feel like yeah this is all in kayfabe so definitely like Robin Williams and Tony Danza are on camera being like oh man we were really really worried about Andy like kind of lost his I mind. love how much like Robin Williams definitely like gets it like just like telling about like sounding like someone being like oh he had this wrestling addiction and yeah. everything like that but my favorite line is he's like oh we could tell he was wearing his yeah. wrestling gear <laughs> under his clothes uh <laughs> We're really worried about it. I like it, the way it ends, too, when he says, like, yeah, and he just, like, gave me a headlock and told me goodbye. You know? <laughs> it's really kind of sweet. Like, I do think they get it, but I like how it's all in kayfabe. Yeah. Like, even when Lawler's talking about it, like, he still stays in character. I, I was really surprised how uh, Lawler kind of, like, was actually, sounded really professional. Like, I'd never actually seen that side of him, because I'm mm-hmm. so used to, like... I like... Lawler in this movie. He's really I, great in this yeah. movie, like, but also like I just remember how like weird he was during like Attitude Era, just yelling oh, puppies, puppies and, like being oh, like Jesus. really disgusting. I like the uh, recently when um, him and AJ are on stage and she gets some kind of award and she wouldn't touch him, like she kind of gives him this like distant hug because he's like a gross person. Um, but in this movie, he's like a pretty great face, baby yeah. face. Uh, and dude, Kaufman is such a great. Heel. Oh yeah, I, mean, I, I, I was really surprised by that. I did not expect like him to be like just this really perfect like idea of like a heel. Like he probably one of the best I ever seen like in like footage. Dude, that there's one part where he's like rest, wrestling this like 300 pound woman. He's like, yeah, she's 327 pounds. She weighs more than you, Lawler. And then he like puts her on the ground and starts hitting her head on the ground. into the ground. And then the guy shooting is like stop stop you're going too far it's like I don't care she doesn't have enough money she can't sue me like that shit you would never see that on modern wrestling yeah. like that's a bygone and him, thing him mocking Lawler is pretty great he's like I'm the king of Memphis Tennessee uh, and then these like weird little novelty folk songs about like his yes. journey oh man so I was actually trying to like look one up afterwards but just like like Andy Kaufman, he doesn't wrestle men. Yeah, I would do it. I would listen to like a Mountain Goats cover yeah. of, of, that, of that soundtrack. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like it's it's pretty incredible how well wrestling plays into his usual like audience trolling version of comedy. Anyway, uh, yeah, and it's interesting that even though you know it's a joke, your blood still boils watching him. Because yeah. he's such an ass. Yeah, and I love the shots of the crowd, too. I guess it was a time when, like, a lot of people still had this idea that it was sort of real, yeah, I exactly. think. 
and just seeing all these people in the crowd yelling, you son of a bitch, like, yeah. how angry they were, and it's like, yeah, like, I, I feel like that's an era of wrestling that we can't really get back to, like, everyone, you know, sort of knows what the, what the deal is at this point, but back then it seemed like people legitimately hated him. Older like, women especially looked really pissed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was saying, like, vile... Misogynistic. Yeah. Crap. Yeah. I mean, he's... The part where he's talking about, like, yeah, you know, there's a few things women can do better than men, you know, like, like the dishes and cooking oh, and peeling yeah. the potatoes. And I'm like, oh, my God. He does dude. say peeling the potatoes a lot. Like, that's, like, a weird image he, 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 he fixates on. He is so great, dude. I, it made me love Andy Kaufman even more than I already did. The only person I've seen get that kind of heat uh, in recent things is that guy Terry Southern who does like the uh, oh, the yeah. good old boy Southern yeah, racist I... gimmick uh, at the Shamrock. Like yeah. I've seen people want to like destroy him mm. and like spit on his children and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so it's... Nuclear heat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily fun to watch in person. Like I don't know if I would want to see Andy Kaufman do this in person but it works in this documentary like they kind of add this like comedic twist to it uh where you're, you're sort of like in on the joke um yeah definitely like was really like perfect and like nailed like every single note that i think it was trying to go for because also wasn't this made or got finished after he died I think, yeah like, five years uh his writing partner um who does interviews in the movie and i believe does that tony clifton character mm-hmm. oh okay yeah, yeah, yeah i think he helped finish the project because it was like a dream job for andy to like have this art piece right yeah. i think it is like an art piece like it's like oh a, yeah definitely a documentary art is um, definitely how i think of it well yeah like calling it a mock a documentary even seems kind of odd like i guess it's more of a mockumentary like but it does document this storyline he lived out um even yeah, if none I, of it's real and i love just kind of watching how the storyline progressed like that part where you know he's feuding with jimmy hart and then he convinces yeah. Waller to like be in his corner, and then of course he like a, backstabs him. Such a perfect moment, and just like imagine, because like that's definitely like how you just like get like the most heat. I imagine that crowd would just went ballistic. Yeah, afterwards. yeah. And that's like uh, the ending of the movie. Just like like Andy Kaufman ends up like not like getting any come up, and it's like it just like he just like betrayed. And, yeah, and it's, yeah, it's pretty great. So um, yeah, that's a good primer for like what wrestling is as performance art um i'd say that the last movie on the list uh it's just the most recent one as well from 2012 uh, it's called glow gorgeous ladies of wrestling um this is probably the best primer for what wrestling is like as an out of this world like spectacle like it's like such a superhuman uh version of reality that i think this show um well, it was from an 80s uh, wrestling television show. They document the history of that. And I feel like that um, that history is just a good primer for like how ridiculous it is. Like I b- believe all these other movies are trying to cue you in on why wrestling's interesting as like a, uh, almost like an academic thing. And this mm. is more like, look how fucking ridiculous this is. <laughs> yeah, the cartoon sort of side of it. Yeah, there's all these bright yeah. colors and... Uh, ridiculous costumes and gimmicks and kind of just like every, all these girls are putting like ridiculous like stereotypes mm-hmm. and just like the housewives and uh the metal sisters or oh, whatever yeah. uh the russian the <laughs> the, the brood all that like, yeah just like i mean i was just surprised that, that i never heard of glow yeah that organization before they made it sound like it was pretty popular i know it's like a yeah. um self-aggrandizing kind of doc to like say like oh this was amazing Hmm. but they were on like talk shows and stuff and no it's just something i don't know it's 
it's weird watching that and then seeing like kind of what the women's division is now. Oh, it's starting yeah, to like come back mm. sort of, but just in the past, you know, 10, 15 Once. years, <laughs> it, you know, hasn't been very good at all. Well, yeah, but, they tried to go with this like reality show route for a while with the women's division that was like just oh, God, yeah. not that good. Really... Uh, they're, they're bringing more like respect back to like the belt now uh, since WrestleMania this year. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I really think this is a fun movie. If you just want to see what like glitz and glamour looks like in the ring, like this is a good intro to that. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and like I was also, this is my first time watching it too. But also like I definitely remember hearing about it, and uh, there was a lot of like stuff that like made me kind of like wince because pretty much the story, of course, was just like they picked up all these women for my like, casting calls. Like yeah. it's like oh you couldn't get into that movie or film you wanted. Well come to like Vegas and like wrestle on this show and you definitely see like also like the sort of reality of them like not knowing what they're getting into and their bodies just being wrecked afterwards mm-hmm. yeah years after the fact yeah that's yeah, true yeah. not proper training you know and, and also like just looking at like you see the ring they're using you just like I'm just like that's a really big ring and it definitely doesn't look like it was able to give like that much and they were just like yep no definitely just made of the hardest material yeah. <laughs> like our backs and like I broke my arm in the middle of a show and but everything. the women the women who did stay with the company after that initial casting call are the ones that like got the fever you know yeah definitely like they, they liked the story totally of Fiji was really great yeah yeah um She's the the uh, bigger woman who's like yeah. in the hospital. Mm. She uh, she's hard to watch. Like oh yeah, we were talking about like wrecked bodies earlier. Like mm. she is a tough case to like watch play out. And it definitely like the film like almost leads up to that point because you definitely see footage of her a lot. Mm-hmm. And basically when they like finally like get to her, like someone just talks about like yeah, I hope Fiji's doing well. And you immediately see her like in like a bed, oh, like sick. just recovering, just like it hurts so badly. She's not the only one either. There's mm. uh, like, what's her name? Like Attila the Hun or something. Yeah, Attila the Hun. Um, because like at first you definitely just see her like sitting down for most of like her interview. Yeah. And then eventually you see like her get into her car. She's so in a wheelchair. Like, yeah. So we like go to the pool and everything. Yeah. There's a lot of great stuff. Uh, one of my favorite also aspects is that um, Ivory, uh, women's wrestler that basically like went to WWE, like probably the most successful one mm-hmm. out of all of them. Uh, was in it. I was really surprised to see her because uh, she's really great at every single interview I watch, and she is also like that weird divide where women's wrestling was becoming a thing where just like awareness section of like fitness models to actual wrestling now, mm-hmm. and she was kind of like weirdly like a little bit of a pioneer. Yeah, and it's weird to see like that's actually where she got her start. She was actually just I like, didn't know she had been up. around for that long. Yeah, I was know? amazed to see it. And she also was, like, one of the best interviews in, like, this whole documentary, too. Yeah, and I just remember watching her during, like, the Attitude Era, and mm. she always was, like, really good in the ring. And like you said, I do think she was a little ahead of her time, because, mm. you know, she was wrestling, like, Trish Stratus. Yeah, and exactly. Who, you know, who's, like, has some good matches, mm. but is not quite on on her level, but... Well, they have, um, they have an interesting way of, uh... I don't know. It, it 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 elevates women's wrestling in a way that no other movie on here does. Um, I mean, Unreal Story Professional Wrestling has like the the ladies uh, circuit from the Carney days in it, mm-hmm. but the only other female wrestler in uh, in these other movies is China. Um, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. So like this one is is good to see like how that could be done well. 
Um, I also like how the music uh, works because um, every other documentary on here is like garbage music, like really <laughs> bad scores. This one is all music from ESG, who's this like amazing uh, proto punk or yeah proto punk band from um, from Brooklyn. Uh, so the music's actually really good. And then they have this way of introducing all the characters because there was this thing on the show where they had this really long rap where they each rapped their gimmick for like two bars. Uh, and that's like a, the way the movie structures like introducing each personality. I love that that's just a time play for like, this is when it was happening when uh, everyone had a rap song. And yeah. And they mentioned uh, that basically they stole that from the Chicago Bears. Super uh, Bowl Shuffle. But yeah. Oh, it no. sounds exactly like that. <laughs> Every single moment is like exactly like that. But yeah, um, uh, y'all want to say anything else, sir? Um, mm, I was about to say, like, I did love also, like, the music videos that, uh, ended this actual, um, the documentary. Yes. Because they definitely showed, they, like, finally showed, like, the whole clip of, like, the good girls and bad girls, which are pretty much, their, like, terms for, like, faith versus heel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, like, just, like, one was, like, what, set in the mall or something like that. Like, really ridiculous, like, 80s, like, style. Yeah. Just all the way through. It's, it's, really it's got kind of a bubblegum pop feel that the mm. rest of these movies don't. Yeah, mm. and also it's, like, the camaraderie oh, between yeah, the yeah, girls. Definitely. Like, I don't know, watching some of the other ones, especially the Bret Hart, like, seeing how kind of people backstab each other in the business and how kind of mean spirited it can mm. be and to watch that one and see like oh people can actually get along I guess you get business. that you get that a little bit and beyond the mat with uh, Terry Funk and Mick Foley who seem to have like a pretty good uh, mm. friendship that's yeah. like part of the friendship is that they do beat the shit out of each other <laughs> I mean you definitely bond with someone when you're wrestling in C4 yeah. matches or it definitely uh, just like a show of like I trust this person so much I'm gonna let them hurt me like this many ways cause you know <laughs> yeah and not try to actually kill me it'll be okay <laughs> well um I, I guess if we're gonna recommend any more do you have any like ones you like cause I like uh Barbed Wire City is one about ECW. The ECW. Yeah, that's a really mm. good one. I like this one, The Backyard. It's about, like, the amateur wrestling. Backyard oh, wrestling. That yeah. shit is fucked up. Like, I can't even watch that. It's so brutal. But it's a good doc on, like, what that is mm. and what that subculture is. Are there any other ones that kind of stick out to y'all? Uh, there's also one, I can't remember, it's either called Road Diaries or something that, like that. I think it's about Cole Cabana and... I think Daniel Bryan like traveling the road together. Oh wow! I haven't yeah. even heard of that one. And it was like pretty much like before like Eater was like really big name or like uh, before Daniel Bryan ended up going to WWE. It pretty much just them like palling around. I think uh, Cesaro shows up. A lot of like guys <laughs> like a lot of guys like now like kind of like. But like in the popular. early yeah form. That's yeah. cool. I would also recommend if like you're really interested in the business to just watch like shoot interviews because mm-hmm. you can learn a lot about like the insider stuff from those so it's not technically a documentary but oh there's there's good podcasts too like I like Cole Cabana's podcast yeah uh, the Steve Austin ones they do can be pretty good they break kayfabe in those and talk about the business yeah Um, it's it's interesting Um, but yeah these five are probably a good solid start like if you just wanted to know what is entertaining about this or like what the history of what it is um, this is a good place to like kind of get an idea of that um, while you're here, do you know, uh, Brandon, what times you're on WTL if you wanted to hear? Oh what yeah. Um, so, well, I'm probably going to change soon, but for the time being, for the rest of the summer, which mm-hmm. is probably uh, a few weeks, I'll be on air Saturdays, 10 a.m. to noon. Okay. Uh, if you're interested, mostly a mix of like electronic hip hop and a mixed jazz and whatever else I decide to play. 
You've uh, also been filling in for people. I'm feeling a lot. Uh, if you turn to the station probably randomly, I will probably also just be there. <laughs> That's how I usually <laughs> get you, honestly. I'll just be in my car. I'm like, oh, Brandon's on in the middle of the day. If, if someone gives away an afternoon slot, I will try to be there. <laughs> Anything so, else you want to promote while you're here? Uh, no. Um, well, I guess in a bid, there probably is about to be a mixtape series that I'm going to be part of that can be sold at Gossa. Oh, wow. Yeah, but uh, only a few other people are probably gonna be a part of it so, is sisters uh, in christ still over there or is it a sisters in christ uh moved there on oh, magazine okay. Okay. they have a nice location they also have books now so, okay yeah, they're back to like maybe their iron rail days a little bit but yeah. gasa gasa has their own it, they have like a vending machine it's gonna be a part what? of that they have a vending machine that's, with a that's shirt amazing. and a bunch of other different stuff that's amazing yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, you were at Gasa Gasa with us last night. Yeah, for Deerhoof. You have any thoughts on that Deerhoof show? Uh, it was definitely a very... Well, uh, kudos to that drummer. for uh, oh, yeah. He was, he was also really good, and for uh, his little um, stand-up in the middle of that. Yeah, he like <laughs> needed a break, because he was just going too hard, and he basically went in this like stand-up bit about how hot it was in the yeah, room. Yeah, I like his long-windedness. <laughs> yeah. his, you could tell he's trying to stretch it out just to give himself a breather. <laughs> I like I like his whole setup too, where he plays like the smallest drum kit you've ever seen, mm-hmm. and beats the shit out yeah. of it. Yeah, I love it. The only other two people I've seen do that is the guy from Lightning Bolt and Zach Hill play like kind of oh, tinier yeah. kits, um, and just go so hard at it. <laughs> um, I don't know. They're kind of like the more I think about them, the, the more they're just like one of my favorite bands that like always pushes what they're doing uh, each record. So if you ever get a chance to see Deerhoof live, they're pretty amazing. Um, I guess uh, if you want to check out anything on Swamp Flicks, I don't think we have anything big coming up, but we put out uh, reviews every day. So if you want to maybe maybe check out the uh, review for the Kevin Spacey um, turns into a cat movie, Nine Lives, uh, probably the most positive review of that film you'll ever find is <laughs> on my blog. So uh, check that out. Bye. Bye. Hey.